But I was thinking about how London's little ball here, which is almost Florida Gator orange. It's faded. It probably was, so I'm glad to know he's in the spirit. Hallelujah. But uh, how the Lord, he told, he told Moses that the, the prayers and the cries of the children of Israel had come up to him and that he was going to deliver them. And you can, of course, obviously, you know, you can read all through the Old Testament and, and a lot in the New Testament on how the Lord, you need a pen? On how the Lord delivered them. And it was so uh, supernatural. And it's so cool. You can read through, like, the life of Joseph, and you see how the Lord raised him up. And it was an absolutely impossible situation. There was no, uh, there was no way that ever could have happened. And... And yet the Lord made it happen. And then, you know, raised Joseph up and made him the right-hand man to basically the greatest kingdom on the planet at the time. And then, you know, how he used Moses. And it is so, it's so cool to me. You know, Moses, uh, he felt unqualified. And he, uh, I think we forget about, you know, Moses, how he was raised. You know, he had personal relationship with the people that he eventually came against and defied. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's so easy to lose touch of the reality of some of the stories that the Scriptures, the accounts that the, uh, the Scriptures record for us. But Moses, time and again, would go into the palace and say, you better let us go, Jack. You know what I mean? Just, you know, we're getting out of here. Uh, you can do it the easy way or the hard way. <laughs> and God, every time, vindicated them. And, uh, and, and if that wasn't bad enough, Moses had to deal with Egypt, and then he had to deal with all those millions of, of Israelites, all those Hebrews, and they would fight against him. And they would get a little bit, you know, the Lord would do miracle after miracle after miracle, and then they would get another little stumbling block, and they would say, look, you bring us out here, you bring us out here to die? We should have just stayed in Egypt and stayed as slaves. At least there we'd have food. At least there, if we did die, we could be in a grave. You know, they complained about everything. But it's so cool how the Lord, time and time and time again, just miraculous ability, would do things that were just otherwise, outside of God, they were totally impossible. But the Lord specializes in the impossible. You know what I mean? And I think the Lord loves to display His power to humanity. You know, Jesus... In his miracles, you know, he would tell the Pharisees sometimes. He would say, look, if you, don't, if you don't believe that I'm who I am because of what I say and teach, if nothing else, believe because of the miracles. You know what I mean? And it's just so cool how um, the Lord was, was willing and desirous to show his power and to help people. I, I, I remember a story, uh, Jim Richards, uh, a minister out of Alabama, Huntsville, Alabama, maybe, somewhere down there. He, um, he was, I don't know where he was at, I forget. Uh, I think he was in Africa, but he was, he was out doing, you know, missionary work. And there was a guy who, who walked for several hours to get to where the meeting was, where Jim was at. And this guy had, uh, I forget the disease, he had some type of uh, disease, I think, in his blood, whatever it was, you know, it was bad. A disease. I don't think there's a good one, right? So this guy came to him. This guy still had blood on him because he had sacrificed. He went to a witch doctor, 
and he and the witch doctor made an animal sacrifice to whatever false god uh, to try to get the false god to heal him. And, you know, nothing happened. And he still had that uh, animal sacrifice blood on him. He came to Jim. Jim prays for him. The guy gets instantly healed and leaves. And he never got saved, not at that moment. He just got his healing and left. And it's just so cool to me how with the blood sacrificed to a false god, Jesus was so willing to heal this man. You know what I mean? I heard uh, uh, William Paul Young. He's the guy who wrote the book, The Shack. Um, Anybody read that, The Shack? Amanda, Kara's read it. I've read not all of it, but some of it. And what I've read in it is really good. He's really awesome, too, that William Paul Young is what he goes by, Paul. His, uh, he's got YouTube stuff. He's just got such a cool perspective and cool relationship with the Lord, the way he expresses things. But he, he said this I heard a while back, and it's just always stuck with me. He said, the Lord does not heal us so he can use us. He heals us because he loves us. And then he invites us to play. I thought, man, that is, it hits the nail on the head right there. You know, and uh, I, hopefully in, in, in this body, we know um, that the Lord never causes bad things to happen to us. And uh, only good, every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights who never changes. And um, only good comes from the Lord. And so... You know, we say stuff like the Lord, you know, He'll turn your test into a testimony. And that's true, but the Lord never gives us bad things so He can then bring us through it so we can then share it. He's not the author of bad. He's the author of good, all right? Uh, but it is true. The, the, you know, the Lord, that stuff can happen. Something bad can happen. The Lord can turn it around miraculously. And then we can share that with people and it be a blessing and help other people. And that's 100% true. But I just think it's really cool how he says that. The Lord does not heal us so he can use us. You know what I mean? He, uh, it's so, I'm trying not to get off track here. Uh, just, just, I think the way we look at God sometimes, the, let, me, let me say this. The Lord is not need-based, okay? So the Lord does not uh, I don't know. He doesn't. Let me say it this way. The Lord does not put a need in our life to get us to seek after him. Does that make sense? There's a lot of ways that people say that kind of stuff. You know, I was in a wilderness period. The Lord drove me into the wilderness so I would seek him. No, he didn't. No, he doesn't. He doesn't put people in the wilderness. Okay. The Lord doesn't put needs in our life to get us to seek him. The Lord wants us to seek Him, and he, love, he gets us to do that by loving on us. Because to see Jesus is to want to seek Him, if you see the real Jesus. Luke chapter 5, there was a man who needed healing, and he went to Jesus, couldn't get in the house, so he went on top of the house, and they let him down through the roof. <laughs> you know what I mean? But Jesus didn't make him sick and give him that need to cause him to in turn seek Him. It, it actually says there, in Luke 5, that the Pharisees were in the house listening to him, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them, the Pharisees. And none of them received that power. But that one man, and it says when Jesus saw him, it said Jesus saw his faith. 
Just seeking God sometimes is faith because, you know, you think, well, I'm going to seek the Lord on that, but I don't have enough faith for that. Well, just seeking Him, there's a ton of faith in that, just just turning to Him. You know what I'm saying? So there's a lot of faith in that. But, But anyways, just suffice it to say, our God is a God of love. And uh, I just think that's so neat what Paul Young said there, that the Lord does not heal us so He can use us. He heals us because He loves us, and then He invites us to play. How awesome is that? Amen? Okay, look here. Let's uh, pick up uh, in what we've been teaching on, and that is out of the book of Hebrews on a better covenant. And we're going to start today in Hebrews uh, chapter 6. I'm going to, I plan to teach today on something that I allude to very often uh, about the new covenant. I tell you, the book of Hebrews, man, you just can't, you just can't beat it. I'd like to pack up and live there. It's just so good, man, the book of Hebrews. And, and really, you know, each week I've been calling this, you know, better covenant, better, you know, better blood, better covenant, better forgiveness. Uh, I don't know what to call this other than just better covenant because I'm, I'm specifying maybe better mediator, better covenant, better mediator. I don't know. I'm just calling it better covenant, better covenant, I guess, whatever, whatever works for you. Uh, and as we, as we elaborate on it, whatever makes more sense to you. But I'm specifying on the covenant itself today. Hebrews chapter 6, and we're going to start down in verse 13. Now, if you remember in Hebrews chapter 8, quoting from the Old Testament, the Lord prophesied, He said, there's coming a day when I will make a new covenant not according to the covenant that I made with the fathers when I led them by the hand and brought them out of Egypt. Then he said, but it's a new covenant. And then he expounded on part of what makes the covenant better. Because remember, Hebrews 8 verse 6 says that Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant established on better promises. And we know that those promises that are better are not just healing and prosperity because Old Testament saints had that, all right? God provided that for them. Uh, even before the cross on credit. And so, and he, and he specifies in the rest of the chapter that part of what makes the new covenant better is that forgiveness is a finished work. And as a matter of fact, that's what chapter 9 and chapter 10 are all about, uh, expounding upon chapter 8. And, and, he, and he brings substance to that powerful statement that the Lord remembers our sins no more. All right? Now, Chapter 6, verse 13, let's look at this. He says, For when God uh, made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. So God swore upon himself. Now you think about that. You know, it's kind of a little humorous here. You know, like, you know, Dan says, Yep. Jordan, I'll drive you to the airport tomorrow. I swear to God, I'll do it. Dan, are you going to be there? I swear to God. You know, we make that statement, you know, I swear to God. But it's kind of, the Lord here swore by God. <laughs> it says he swore upon himself. Now, the funny thing about it is God is God. So God doesn't have to swear to anybody. God, God's word is good when he says it. He doesn't have to make, he doesn't have to say, no, I really mean it. 
No, I'm really going to do it. No, I promise. No, I swear. Because he's God. <laughs> you know? Like he doesn't have to, to go out of his way. But, but as it says, it'll say here as we, as we read it, God made such a great promise just, just to, he just wanted to show man. It, is basically, he did, it was just a way of, uh, instead of just giving a gift, he wanted it to be elaborate. You know, he wanted to, 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 to really, uh, I don't know how to say it. He didn't have to swear, but just to show us how good he is, he went ahead and swore in advance, basically. Now, he swore by himself. Verse 14, saying, surely with blessing, I will bless you. And with multiplying, I will multiply you. Verse 15, and so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise, for men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is the end of all strife. Verse 17, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. See, God wanted to just show us. So he made a covenant. He made a promise. He never had to promise, but he wanted to show us. All right, now, he confirmed it by an oath. Now, check this out, verse 18. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. That is awesome. It is impossible for God to lie. You know, it's really just a little side nugget here for you. It's one, one thing I have seen that really helps a person in the area of faith is if you're a person who, of your word, if you, if, you're, if you keep your word. I guess the way it, 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 it makes it easier to believe in a God who you don't have any evidence. You can't see him face to face unless, you know, you have a vision or something. Jesus appears to you. But you know what I'm saying? Generally speaking, we have his word. But if you're not a person who keeps your own word, when you say something, you don't have any faith in it yourself. You ever know? I had a friend uh, growing up. I sold drugs, but I was not what you would call a hustler. I had a friend who was a stinking hustler, man. That guy would look you in the eyes, and there would be, you know, he sold weed. He, he would sell, you would look at it, and you knew it was about one joint, you know, and he's ripping you off. But he could look you in the eyes and show you that one joint and swear up and down it was worth $20 or $50, and he made it sound so good. You just, you'd walk, you'd hand him your money, and you'd walk out of there and kick the mess out of yourself. But he was so smooth. He was, you know what I'm saying? He was a hustler. Well, he lied like that all the time. He would, he would look for things to lie about. He had no reason. Like we would go somewhere and something would happen and we'd go to, you know, another friend's house and he would say, let me tell him about it. I'll make it sound better. Like he looked for things to lie about. Didn't even have to. Well, he, all, he was convinced that everybody else was constantly lying to him. Because he was always lying. You know what I'm saying? So when you're a person of your word, it makes it easier to believe in a God who keeps his word. Because that's what our faith is based on, God's word, what he said. Does that make sense? Okay, now, moving on here. It's verse 18, by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that was set before us. Now, two more verses. Look here, verse 19. Which hope 
we have as what is our hope? God made an oath and he can't lie. He'll bless, he'll multiply. Okay. As an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters into the veil, inside the veil. Verse 20, where the forerunner has entered in for us, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, now let's turn to the book of Genesis, and we're going to look where God actually made this covenant, this oath, this promise to Abraham, okay? Book of Genesis, and we're going to start in chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Now, one thing I want us to keep in mind today as we're, as we're reading uh, all of these scriptures, I, I want you to keep in mind the fact that God has given man authority on the earth. That is so important. Think about... Um, I mean, there's a lot of ways to look at that. The Scriptures clearly teach that God has given us authority. Thinking like Genesis chapter 1, uh, the Lord said, Let us make man in our image and let us give them dominion or authority on the earth. And it says that the Lord gave them man authority. And then it lists a bunch of stuff over all the animals. Over You know, God gave man the authority on the earth. All right? Now, think about... You know, I'm like everybody else. I don't know exactly how all of that stuff worked in, in, in the beginning. There's a lot of stuff we don't know about creation and the fall. Um, and, and a lot of people su subscribe to what's called the gap theory. Is, is anyone familiar with this? Genesis chapter 1. I'm not going to explain it. Some people think there were two creations, and the dinosaurs died in the first one, and then God recreated, and then that's where man... You know, I don't know how it all worked. Nobody really does. Okay, we don't, we don't have all the answers to a lot of that stuff. Now, let me just say, for example, let's say Adam was running around in the garden where there were dinosaurs. Let's say they were on earth at the same time, okay? I don't particularly subscribe to gap theory myself. There's just too many loopholes in it. But I'm open to the fact that maybe it's possible. And if you're saying, Jordan, I don't know what gap theory is, good for you. Less confusion, probably. Nonetheless, let's say there were dinosaurs. Adam, I suppose had less physical strength than a T-Rex, right? I mean, you would think maybe. Now, Adam didn't have necessarily the physical power, you know, to the physical ability to overpower a dinosaur, but he had the authority because he was the federal headship, the lead authorized agent on planet Earth. Think about this. Uh, you know, like here at a school, whenever school lets out, you know, you've got some guy out there, he's five foot tall and he weighs 100 pounds soaking wet and he's directing traffic. He has no power to stop a car. A Geo Metro would run him over and make him flat as a pancake, right? But what does he have? He has the authority. He's got a badge. He's an officer. He has the authority, you understand, of the state as an officer behind him. So he doesn't have the power, but all that, all he, hold up that hand and traffic stops. And he's in any emotions and kids walk. You know what I'm saying? He has the authority to do that. Well, God has given us the authority. Think, think about uh, Daniel, all right? Like Daniel in the lion's den. He didn't have power over lions. 
when the king threw him in there. But he had God on his side. He was authorized by, am I, am I making sense? Okay, it's important for us to understand this. Everything God does in the earth, he does through man. It, now, you, you have stuff like the rapture or the second coming, okay, which are not the same thing, but those two things. Now, God is not like, uh, I don't know how to say this the right way. The, the rapture is going to happen or the second coming, whatever you you know, whether we believe it or not, whether the world believes it or not, it's going to happen. That's, that's not conditional upon believing it, confessing it, exercising faith. It's going to happen. But even events like that, God used men in the earth, in the earth, <laughs> in the earth, to prophesy and to declare those things. Does that make sense? So God's going to do that, but He's already used man's authority to prophesy that those things were going to come. Make sense? Okay, I hope so. Now, Genesis chapter 12, Abram uh, was a rich man, and if you read chapter 11, you can find out about where he lived and his family and all that stuff. Nonetheless, chapter 12, the Lord comes to him and says this, verse 1, The Lord said unto Abram, Get out of your country and, from your, and leave your family and leave your father's house and go into a land that I will show you. Now, I think that I, I, I reference that all the time. That has always blessed me because the Lord said, pack your bags, kiss your daddy bye, leave. Where am I going? I'll show you. Just start going. And that's a true faith. Talking about walking by faith. He was literally walking by faith, you know. He goes somewhere and, uh, another, you know, the Lord's saying, I'll let you know when to turn. And then when I tell you to turn again, you turn. Until then, go straight. You know, the Lord just totally... And we know from the rest of the book of Genesis, he even had a lot of opposition from pagan, uh, heathen kings and all this. But the Lord took care of him the whole time. Now look at verse 2. And I will make of you a great nation. Now this is why we call Abraham Father Abraham. As many sons, I am one of them, and so are you. You guys know that song? <laughs> okay. Hallelujah. I'm sorry you had to hear that. Now, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you, and I will curse him that curses you. And in you, all families of the earth will be blessed. Now, even to this day, people joke, uh, and, and I'm not being racist here, people joke about Jews. They talk about Jew, you know, Jewish bankers and how they're so rich, and they just they got a knack for making money. Talk about Jewish lawyers and, and how... I don't know what the right word is, but how they're hard to beat. You know what I'm saying? It, it, there's a lot of people associate um, blessings and, and even actual tangible, you know, physical prosperity with the Jewish people. That that residual blessing is still upon them. Isn't that funny? The Lord, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth, even us. Uh, uh, Euro, white, Caucasian, pasty folk over here even joke about how Jews make money. That blessing is so renowned upon them. Am I making sense? Okay, now, turn over to Genesis chapter 15. Now, see, this is why we call Abraham Father Abraham, or in the New Testament, our father Abraham. This is why that God started the Jewish people or the Hebrew people or what became the nation of Israel beginning with Abraham. All right, he's the father. And the seed... Uh, Jesus came through the, the lineage of Abraham. And we're going to look at this more in depth as we go on here. 
I'm, I hope none of this is too. We're looking at a lot of scriptures, and I know it's your old King Jamesy. But, you know, even when I went to Bible college, I heard him, you know, Father Abraham. It was a long time before anybody ever explained why he was Father Abraham to me. I guess I could have looked it up, you know, but I was busy doing lots of other stuff. But it, it was nice to find out, well, why the heck is he the father? Whose dad is he? What? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's good to put some uh, substance to this. Genesis 15, verse 1. Now, and the, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Verse 2. And Abram said, Lord, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? In other words, no matter what you give me, what I really want's a kid. You know, so that's kind of what he, he said. And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. Verse 3. And Abram said, Behold, to me you have given no seed. And lo, one is born in my house as my heir. Verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be your heir, but he that shall come forth out of your own bowels, he shall be your heir. Now we know from the book of Romans and many other places, Abram and Sarah got too old to have kids. So just like Moses and the children of Israel leaving Egypt, they were in an absolutely impossible situation. All right, And you know, that can be a good place to be. Not that a person has to wait till they're, till they're desperate, but a lot of times people don't reach deep down on the inside to that place of faith and tap into God's ability until they are desperate, until you don't have anywhere else to turn. You know what I mean? Not that we have to wait till then, but sometimes we don't do it until we have to. All right, now look here, verse 5. He brought him forth abroad and said, Look now towards heaven and tell the stars if you're able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall your seed be. Now I think that's so cool how the Lord, uh, as far as we know, Abram had no written word. He had no Old Testament, no New Testament or anything that we know of. But the Lord found something visual to help him. You know, He used all he could to instill faith in him. And so he said, look at the stars. If you can number them, that's how your seed's going to be. That's really cool. Verse 6, and he believed in the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him for righteousness. Now, right there, the New Testament references this over and over again. This was even before circumcision. And the book of Galatians talks a lot about that, how it is faith that makes us inheritors of God's promises. Okay. Now, verse 7. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought you out of Ur the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, what, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit? Now check this out. This is really cool. I know there's a lot of stuff in this, but it, it's, it's worth it. Verse 9, he said unto him, Take a heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a, excuse me, and a young pigeon. I think that's really cool, by the way. In, in biblical numerology, the number five is the biblical number for grace. And he gave him five things to get there as he cut this covenant of grace. Now, verse 11. And when the fowls of the air came down upon the carcasses, excuse me, excuse me, verse 10. And he took, he took unto him all of these, divided them in the midst, 
laid one piece against another, but the birds he did not divide. So he kills them. They're making a sacrifice. He and God are making a covenant. Now, when there's a covenant, there's bloodshed. So here's the bloodshed, all right? And we know this is a type and shadow of Jesus. Now, when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Check this out, verse 12. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, a great horror, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. Now, think about that. A deep sleep. In other words, God knocked him out. He was slain in the spirit. You can almost you say it that way. Now, it's really cool to me. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that in, in this new covenant, that our salvation is by grace through faith, not of works. So what was Abraham's part here? Abraham really did his part in verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord, and that was imputed to him for righteousness. That was his part. What's our part? Believe and receive that free gift of salvation, okay? And then we rest, all right? That's what Abraham, he believed, he rested, okay? Now, verse 13, he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that your seed will be as a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and they will serve them, and they will afflict them for 100 years. So he's telling him there's coming a day when your descendants and he's talking about Egypt here, by the way, will become enslaved to a heathen nation. Verse 14, And also that nation whom they will serve, I will judge. And afterward, they will come out with great substance. That's awesome. So the Lord's telling him, and to me, that's a little guideline in our day and age when you hear prophecies and people talk about destructions coming, this is coming. The Lord can foretell us of bad things that are coming, but there should always be an encouragement and some answers and some wisdom in the process if it's from the Lord. Because the Lord tells him, yes, they're going to be enslaved, but I'm going to judge that nation, and you guys are going to come out with great substance. You're going to be blessed. You're going to leave with more than what you came with. Okay? So just keep that as a little side note there. Verse 15, And you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you will be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, a few more verses here, they'll come uh, here again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Now, two more verses. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Here we go. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying unto your seed, I have given this land. Now, Hebrews chapter 6 is referencing this. God makes a covenant with Abram. He made the promise in Genesis chapter 12. But over here in chapter 15 is when Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness. Okay? And that's when God shed blood and made the covenant. Now, to kind of close the gaps here, let's turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 3. Galatians, chapter 3. Now, the book of Galatians, these Gentiles get born again, but they had what we call these Judaizers, people who believed in Jesus, but who believed that you also had to keep the law. 
So, so they came in and are telling these Gentiles that you're not really saved, you're not really right with God because you've not been circumcised. So the book of Galatians is written to combat this. And he references in here over and over again that Abraham was made righteous before God before he was even circumcised. Genesis 15, I think Genesis 17 is where the Lord told him about circumcision and, and to circumcise all the males and servants of his house. And that door is open. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. So the book of Galatians is combating this. They got it. Hallelujah. Now, let's start here in verse 2. And he's going to explain this. Because think about this. Hebrews 6, once again, God could swear by no greater, so he swore by himself. We're going to look at how he did that here. And that happened in Genesis chapter 15 there. Okay? Now, verse 2. This only what I learn of you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or through the hearing of faith? And so he's going to relate this to Abraham. All right? So he's telling these guys, you were born again, you received the Holy Spirit by faith, but without any law. So if you didn't start with the law, then you don't need to try to be sanctified or matured or perfected by the works of the law. It's Jesus at the beginning, Jesus at the end, okay? Verse 3, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, will you now be matured and perfected by the works of the flesh? And I read that, and I'm thinking, well, yeah, I thought so. That's what I've always been told, you know. But you keep reading here. Now, we've got to bounce around a little bit. Verse 5, He therefore that ministers to you the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Verse 6, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now, we just read that in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, which, by the way, is the first time in the Bible where the word faith or believe or belief or believed, whatever, is used. That was that verse, Genesis 15, 6. So the first, first time believing God or faith is mentioned in the Bible, it's connected to righteousness, right standing with God. So righteousness has always come by believing God. It's never came by works. All right. Think about Abraham. If we go through and read his life, there was two different accounts where they were coming, passing through a heathen nation. And Abraham, he told Sarah, he said, look, they are going to kill me because you're pretty and they're going to take you for their self. Lie to them and say you're my sister. So he, he premeditated, willfully sinned to lie, to save his own tell. And what happened? God defended him. God came to one of the kings in his sleep and he said, he is a prophet. Let him go or, you're, or you'll get it. You know what I mean? So God defended this lying prophet. Why? Because he was righteous, not by works, but by faith. Okay? Now, jump down here. Look in verse 8. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen, thank God, through faith, he preached beforehand the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. Verse, verse 9. So then, they which are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Faithful Abraham who believed God, in other words. Verse 10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. That's awesome. That's just cut and dry, man. There's, there's no wiggle room for that, you know. Uh, for it's written, Cursed is everyone who continues not in all things 
of the book of the law to do them. Now think about this. A covenant, if I can say this clearly enough, is only as good, I don't know, as, as the ability of the two parties to uphold their end. Does that make sense? So God could not find anyone else on His level that could so perfectly uphold their end of the agreement. So God said, well, that's fine. I'll just swear upon myself. Now, as we're getting our mind going in this direction, the covenant was made between the Father and the Son. All right? The, the, Genesis 15, the covenant, God could swear by no greater. He swore by Himself. It was between the Father and the Son. So the new covenant is a fail-proof covenant because the only way the new covenant can fail is for God the Father or God the Son to lie to the other one and not uphold their end of the agreement. That's it. But thank God, it's impossible for God to lie. So God is not going to lie to Himself. God the Father is not going to lie to God the Son and vice versa. Does that make sense? They're going to uphold their end of the agreement. So I am in the new covenant. On, on The new covenant that I am in is as sure and steadfast as the Father and the Son are. Okay? So that's how solid... That's what he says in Hebrews 6, verse 19, where he says the, the promise is both sure and steadfast. Some translations say they are uh, firm and secure. So our salvation, our entrance into the new covenant is secure. It's firm. It can't fail. The only way it can fail is if God fails God, and God doesn't fail God, or anyone else for that matter. Okay? So see, that's why he says, in, that's why the new covenant is not between God and man. Because man is unfaithful. Now, that's what this says, and that's what Hebrews chapter 8 says, when the Lord says that they couldn't uphold their end of the agreement. So I'm going to make a new covenant that nobody can fail. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to make it between myself. Well, why did he need Abraham in that process? Because man has authority on the earth. So God, who is in heaven, wanted to make a covenant. I know this is... I hate to say it's deep because that just sounds dumb to me. But I know this is requiring thinking, but I, hope it's really, I really hope it's making sense. Man has authority on the earth. God doesn't live on earth. He interacts with earth, but I'm talking about at this time, but he gave authority to man, all right? So if God's going to do anything in the earth, he's going to use a man in, in some shape, form, or fashion. So God says, well, I want to make a covenant to bless the people of earth. But they're not faithful. At some point, they're going to fail. Well, what do I do? Well, I'll just make a covenant with you, son. You understand what I'm saying? Father, son, son, father. He says, well, how are we going to get it to benefit them? Well, just tell Abraham about it. If he'll believe it, that'll give us the authority that we need. Well, well what if he messes up? Well, he, he isn't going to mess up. We're just going to use his authority, and we'll promise each other. And since he said, uh-huh, down there, that'll let us do it on their behalf. So we're going to make a covenant between ourselves for their benefit. You see what I'm God didn't need to make a covenant with God. God was never going to sin. So God didn't need to bless himself because he was never going to. Does that make sense? Okay. But we had the problem. So God says, well, let's use Abraham. Well, what if he messes it up? Well, he can't. Why? Because we're going to knock him out. We'll make the promise, and we'll put him to sleep before he can mess it up. <laughs> and now there's a fail-proof covenant between God and God for our benefit. I mean, this is, this is, absol- this is remarkable. No man, I mean, Satan could have never, it says in 1 Corinthians that if the princes of the earth, and it talks about the devil there too, if they would have saw 
the, 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 the wisdom in the redemption of God, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. I mean, Satan thought, when I kill Jesus, I win, I'll put a stop to this. All right? But he didn't see, and he talks about in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 there, about the wisdom of God and the mystery that was hidden from the previous ages. Man could just never conceive such an awesome redemption. And I think the problem, that, that the reason that so many believers have so, just such a, I don't, just uh, an array of problems uh, is because we think that every time we make a mistake that we're letting down our end of the agreement. But the problem with that is the agreement is not on our end. It's between God and God. And it's fail-proof. It's foolproof. It's guaranteed. It's sure. It's never going to collapse, never going to crumble, never going to falter, never going to take a day off. And it's always for our benefit. Okay? Now, let's look here. Let's, a few more verses here in the little time we have. Look down in verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Verse 14, so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles, thank God, through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now check this out, man. This is awesome. Verse 15, brothers, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no one, no man can take away from it or add to it. Now think it. Let's read it again. Brothers, I speak after the manner of men. Though it is a man's covenant, no man can add to it or take away from it. Now, that's what I've been explaining here for the last few minutes. God made a covenant for man. It's a covenant that benefits man, but no man can add to it or take away from it. It's fail-proof because the covenant, Hebrews 6 says, by two immutable things, God the Father and God the Son. It's impossible for God to lie. That's how sure this new covenant is, okay? The covenant's not as steadfast as I am steadfast. It's not as faithful as I am faithful. It's as steadfast as he is. It's as faithful as he himself is. Now, verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He did not say to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Now see there? When God made a covenant, He promised, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and your seed. All, the fam all families of the earth will be blessed because of your seed. Now, in the type and shadow, that was Isaac. But we know, that, we know from several places, we won't be able to read it today, but Galatians chapter 4, he talks about the type and shadow of this. Hebrews 10 talks about these types and shadows, that the true seed was Jesus Christ. So God used the faith of Abraham to get Jesus into the earth. Does that make sense? Why did he do that? Because man has authority. He couldn't just say, poof, Jesus be. No, he had to use man's laws. What's that mean? He had to get him, he had to be born into the earth. Okay? So what did he do? He found a virgin. 
But see, it all started. You remember in Jesus in the book of John, the, the Pharisees were getting mad at him? And one thing that Jesus said, I think right around chapter 6, Jesus said this. He said, Abraham saw my day, and he was glad to see it. Now think about that. Abraham, it wasn't as clear as what we see after the fact, but Abraham had a revelation of the Messiah to come. Now Jesus said that again. He said, Abraham saw my day and was glad to see it. Well, we know that's true because here in Galatians it says, Before time, beforehand, God preached the gospel unto Abraham. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. God preached the word or the gospel to Abraham. Abraham believed it. That's what God gave God the authority and the faith that he needed to get Jesus as a man into the earth. Again, does that make sense? Okay? God di didn't just go willy-nilly, I dream of genie, you know, poof, and there's Jesus. No, he had to use man's laws because man has authority in this realm. And in this realm, a man and a woman, there has to be a conception for a seed to come. You, you understand? Well, so he, di he did that. He used a woman and, and birthed Jesus, and it was completely necessary for Jesus to be a man because he could not redeem us as God. He had to redeem us as a man, okay? Uh, you can put, your, put this in your notes, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. I don't know if we'll turn there. We may just because it's good to see it, even though I'm, I'm referencing it now. That's the scripture that says, There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. See, it was, it was necessary that he be a man. It was necessary that he live sinlessly, do all of his miracles, as a man, not out of his deity. Because anything he did as God, out of his innate deity, would have been, he had legal grounds to do that, but it would have nullified that part of redemption for us. Jesus, say it this way, Jesus said, look, I could call angels down and wipe this whole crowd out and I get out of here and not have to deal with this pain and this death. You know what I'm saying? Just what he went through. Now, he would have been just to do that. He had the right to do that. But if he would have, he wouldn't have fulfilled our deity, uh, uh, our redemption. Now, think about this. Matthew chapter 4. The devil comes to tempt Jesus. Jesus says to him, he says, he says turn, these turn these stones into bread. Jesus said, it is written, man will not live by bread alone. See, Jesus, the devil tempted him in his deity. Jesus had the right to beat him out of his deity, but it would have nullified our redemption. Make sense? He had to do it as a man. So he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, referring to himself, okay? So Jesus had to redeem us as man, had to become a man, but he had to have a man to give him the right to come to earth. Hope that makes sense. Hallelujah. Okay, verse 16. And out of Abraham and his seed, the promises were made. He did not say to seeds as in plural, but as of one and to thy seed, which is Christ. So the promise was made to Abraham and Jesus, the seed to come. Well, that doesn't help me because I'm not Abraham or Jesus. Well, good news. God has placed you in Christ. So now the, the blessing that was laid up for the seed to come, the seed of Abraham, Jesus, now benefits me because I'm in Jesus. Make sense? Good. Verse 17. And this 
is, and this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ. Now check this out. The law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul and make the promise of no effect. So he said the, the promise was made to Abraham 430 years before the law came. So the promise was never based upon the law. So God made the promise and shed blood, and the covenant was cut in Genesis chapter 15. But the law was given later because of sin. But the promise was made before the law. So now, not now, but under that time when the law was given, when man breaks the law, that can't take away from his right to be an inheritor of the promise because it was never made contingent upon the law. It was based upon Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Does that make sense? So God says, here's the law. Okay, we'll keep it. Oh, we broke it. Well, breaking the law couldn't make them not inheritors because the promise was never built based upon the law. Okay? Now, a few more verses and we're through. He says, verse 18, For the inheritance, for if the inheritance is by the law, it is no more by promise. God's promise, I swear to bless you. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore is the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And now check this out. And it was ordained by angels and the hand of a mediator. Now look at verse 20. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Now he's saying the same thing here that Hebrews chapter 6 says. God swore by himself. Well, he says a mediator can only be a mediator when there's two or more parties to mediate between. So, he says a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Well, God is one God, but he's three persons. Okay? That makes sense. One God, three persons, three persons, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, that's just the same thing as Hebrews chapter 6. There was a mediator Abraham was the mediator between God and God. He says, a mediator is not a mediator of one, or there's nothing to mediate between. But God is one. So God swore upon Himself. God the Father swore upon God the Son. God the Son swore upon God the Father. Abraham mediated this exchange. What was his part? I believe it. That was it. God knocked him out and shed blood, game over. You know, and that was it. You believe this, Abraham? Uh-huh. Knock him out. Slain in the spirit. Covenant was made. The end. Now that sound that sounds almost too simple. It's so funny to me. Some some of the terms against grace, you know, greasy grace, sloppy agape, and then they also call it uh, this one easy believism. Anybody ever heard that term? Yeah, it's kind of a, whatever. Easy believism. It's funny they call grace easy believism, but from what I've seen, it's it's a lot harder to believe than a, just legalism. If it's so hard to believe, then why does, if it's so easy to believe, why do so many people fight against it and resist it so hard? You know what I'm saying? It's just, just, just referencing that there. And one reason it is seemingly harder to believe the gospel, the good news, God's grace, is because grace offends human flesh. It does. Because it, it, people say, no, bless God. Don't you tell people it's that easy. They have to do their part. 
No, their part was done when they believed Jesus. Because the flesh demands some credit. <laughs> when Kara started learning about grace, she, one of the first things, and I've heard lots of other people say this, she got mad. I've been busting my hump to make God finally happy with me. And you mean to tell me I didn't have to? Yeah, it's good to serve, do all this stuff, but I didn't have to do it to make God like me and get off my back? Because the flesh demands credit. You know what I'm saying? But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, and then verse 31 says, No flesh will glory in His presence. Now look, we're out of time here. I know today was, was in-depth. It was more of a thinking message than a preaching, shouting message. But I hope it, it, it really solidifies for us um, how sure and steadfast this new covenant is. And for me, when I learned this truth, this was honestly one of the most important things uh, that I have ever learned. It helps me uh, tremendously to understand this. It, it really does away with, you know, there's so many cliches, and, and I think about them a lot, and I reference them a lot. Uh, some of them that I was thinking about the other day, uh, one of them, you know, when you sin, you fall out of fellowship with God, and then they say you have to put that sin under the blood. Well, neither one of those phrases are in the Bible one time, Old or New Testament. Out of fellowship or put that sin under the blood. Even the phrase under the blood is not in the Bible, Old or New Testament, one time. But we build doctrines on emotion, and there's no substance to them. And so now, you know, when you, when you miss it or you do something... Even not if you miss it. Think about like when you pray for people. If your kids are sick and you want to pray for them. Or if you have a co-worker who wants help. Or, you know, if you, get, if you do something dumb and get fired from a job and you need a new job. No matter what I'm needing in my life. No matter what I'm going to request from, from, from my father, from God. It was never contingent upon my works, good or bad. It, it was never contingent upon me upholding some end of the agreement. You know what I'm saying? It's funny, First uh, John chapter 3, at the end of the chapter, John said this. He said, we know that we love Him and know Him if we keep His commandments. Now, no two groups can agree on what His commandments are. First of all, the Pentecostals say, women, keep your hair long and no makeup. And, you know, if you, you'll go to hell with an unconfessed sin. And then the Baptists say our rules are don't you dare speak in tongues. And then the Pentecostals or the Charismatics say these are our rules. We all, nobody can agree on what we say His commandments are. But the very next verse tells us what His commandments for the New Testament are. Believe in Jesus and love. As a matter of fact, we're gonna, we'll turn there and look at that and we'll stop. Turn to 1 John chapter 3 with me here. But see, it, it, it's... Um, it takes all the pressure off. You know, for me, that was one of the things that has so helped me with grace is I was, I, I, I've always been aware of my inadequacies. You know what I mean? And the legalistic mind is aware of its inadequacies because the law teaches us about our shortcomings. Roman, the book of Romans chapter 3 says the law was given to show us our own sinfulness. You know? So the law, if you're under a legalistic Christianity, performance Christianity, the law will never come by and pat you on the back and say, good job. 
The law was never designed to compliment you. The law was never designed to build us up. The law was never designed to help us. The law, the, the law was only designed to point out our sin so we could see our need for a Savior. Okay? Now, 1 John chapter 3. Look here in verse, verse uh, let's start in verse 19. He says, Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. That's really powerful there. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. So even if your own conscience tells you that you're guilty and dirty, you can assure yourself before God. Because God knows the greater truth, that if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. Okay? Verse 21. Beloved, if our heart doesn't condemn us, then we can have confidence towards God. Now look at this. Check this out. Verse 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. But no two groups can agree on what those stinking commandments are. Well, God forbid we read the next verse. And this is His commandment, verse 23, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as He told us. John 13, what did Jesus say? This is my commandment, love one another as I have loved you. See, that's the New Testament commandment right there. Look at verse 24. And he that keeps His commandments dwells in Him, and He in Him. And hereby we know that He abides in us by the Spirit that He's given us. How clear is that? This is the New Testament commandment. Believe in Jesus. Have you done that? Well, good news. You're on the right path here. All that's left to do is to, is to learn to let that love that's in you flow out to other people. Isn't that awesome? It's just so simple. Everything in, in the Christian walk in terms of walking and living godly and holy will stem from those two things. Believing on God, or believing in Jesus, it says, and loving one another. So, under law, they were led by external rules. But see, think about this. As a new covenant believer, you're born of God. If you can, He says, believe in Jesus. Well, on a practical level, that's how we live our life. You consult with Jesus. You, you look to Jesus. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You look to Jesus. He's our wisdom. He's the wisdom of the believer. So if I look to Him, if I live from that life inside of me that comes from Him, He will always lead me in the right direction. He's incapable of misleading me. He's the good shepherd, and His sheep hear His voice, and they follow Him. John chapter 10, 27, 28. And then, if I'm in terms of holiness with other people, all I have to do is love. I mean, it's really simple. That that. That can be lived out by anyone, anywhere, at any time. Amen? And no, none of us are perfect in that. But thank God we grow in it. And if you're really born again, you'll take your boot off. No, I'm playing. <laughs> I'm teasing. If, if, you're, if you're really born again, you know, I'm, I'm trying to stop, I promise. Brother Hagen had a story one time. He was, at, he was at lunch, and there was a man and his wife. And the wife... Uh, her mother-in-law hated her, the son, the wife. The son was her only, her only kid, her baby, and it was a boy. And so she didn't want 
some hussy coming and taking her baby from her. But some hussy did, okay? So she tortured and tormented and went after her daughter-in-law. And so they're sitting there, and the woman's saying, Brother Hagen, I just don't know if I can ever forgive her. I don't know how I'm going to get past it. I don't know how we're going to have a good marriage, uh, you know, until she's dead. You know, I don't know what we're going to do. So Brother Hagen said to her, he said, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say out loud with your own mouth, I hate my mother-in-law. She said, okay, I hate my mother-in-law. He said, what happened? She said, something right in here scratched me when I said that. In other words, if you're born again, your new nature won't let you get away with hating people. If you're really born again, you'll always come back to love. You'll always, you ever had someone you didn't think you could ever forgive them? And enough time passes, and maybe that hatred decreases a little. A little more time passes, you don't think about killing them all the time. A little more time passes, you don't puke when you see them or hear their name. A little more time passes, you don't flip them off when you see them. A little more, you know what I'm saying? It gets more and more to where you can even be in the same room with them. It's, it's that love. But don't make it, some, see, people make a law out of that. They make it some, you know... You just hear all kinds of goofy stuff. You'll go to hell if you have any, any animosity against anyone. No, you won't. But what happens is, as a born-again person, love will always try to show up. Stand up and we'll dismiss. Again, I know that wasn't a shouty, preachy message. But, but I, and I know, you know a lot of verses and a lot of that King Jamesy stuff. But I hope it just made sense to you today that this new covenant, it's just remarkable, man. This new covenant is between God the Father and God the Son. And He used a man named Abraham so that he could get all, all the blessings that they promised to one another. You know, in a covenant, I'll uphold my end and you uphold your end. And then as a result, I have this stuff or this benefit or whatever, and that'll be yours. And this party says, okay, I uphold my end, you uphold yours. I've got this amount of stuff, and that'll all be yours. All right? Well, that's what the Godhead did. But God didn't need a covenant. He did it so He could bless us. And it just helps me tremendously to know that when I falter, when I fall, that God doesn't just cast me aside. Because here's, you know, these, these things we say like, you know, God will forgive you so many. You'll have grace for a season, but after a while, you know, it'll run out or something. I don't know what happens to it, but I guess it runs out. Well, that, that, that appeals to, to the human intellect and to doctrines of emotion because you feel like God gives up on you. When you, you know, I, I, you should have known better. <laughs> you call yourself a Christian, I know, you know, all that stuff. And it's just emotion and it's not true. The covenant cannot fail me. I'm in the covenant and the covenant is secure and firm. It's sure and steadfast because it's based on Him. So, so think, when you, if your kids get sick, you pray for them. You get sick, your parents get sick, you need, a, you need an answer to a prayer, you need something from God. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. It's based on His faithfulness, not my own. All right? So when you, when you seek God about things, be, be, once you close your eyes, and, and as I dismiss here, just be conscious of the fact. If anybody has a right to the blessings of God, it's you. You are in Christ as much as anyone who's ever lived. When you stand before sickness and disease, you've got just as much right as the greatest saint who ever lived to, to command sickness to leave and healing to manifest.
your kids are sick, you've got as much right as Jesus himself to lay hands on them in his name and see them healed. You need wisdom about a situation. You've got strife in your marriage, your relationships. You've got heartache and unforgiveness and hurt. You, you, you need wisdom. You need a job. You need anything. We have a right to receive from this. We, we can make a covenant withdrawal, not on our faithfulness, but on His. Amen?